Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor of Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with the Zenka Brothers. The duo from Munich are probably best known for their signature combination of breakbeats and booming techno. They're a consistently influential presence on the scene, and their label Alien Tape in particular enjoys a strong following thanks to much-loved releases from the likes of Steny, Andrea and Ski Mask. Those producers joined the Zenka Brothers at Berghain last month to help celebrate 10 years of Alien Tape and the brothers Marco and Dario came to speak with Matt Unicomb the following day about their unlikely rise to the top of the techno pile. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with the Zenka brothers is up next. last night yeah it was great we arrived um, around one to the club we landed in berlin at 11 from from brussels because we played in dessel last night in a small belgian city yeah and it was cool it was crowded already not super packed and it started to fill during the day i think it was pretty normal at Berkheim. so when we started to play it was pretty full actually and it was nice super nice vibe fresh people it was great we had a great time but we were super tired so we left at 11 or something so how is DJ life for you guys now? You're playing so much. Uh, well, we just had a month off. We, we both took January off. I uh, went to Bali with my mom and Marco went to Mexico with his girl. So yeah, we just started playing again. But yeah, we played a lot last year and it's great. We love playing. The travel gets is struggling sometimes and pretty exhausting, you know, but the playing itself is, is just 
we don't consider that as work you know the work part is the travel not sleeping thing yeah but, but i think the the one month break was really needed because at the end of the year i felt a little bit worn out and now with the break i felt really excited to play again and to find new music and to try new music and that w i think sometimes you need a break and then you have much more energy to do it again so it actually helps it's not like you get back in the first gig as though you haven't stopped it's actually like exciting to get back yeah absolutely i was really excited i was looking for a lot of new music to play and i was a little bit nervous because i wasn't used to it for more than a month and yeah, i think that's a great feeling and the motivation so you're on the beach in mexico like checking discogs on your iphone <laughs> no in mexico i i didn't do anything i mean i checked my emails and when something really important i had to answer i answered but i didn't listen to new music or look was looking for music i just had a i just really relaxed with my girlfriend and tried to not focus on any music or party or any anything related to what i always do normally is music the only thing that you guys have done more or less since school no 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 i mean we both had jobs you know marco went a little bit longer to school than me I, I quit school pretty early, actually, and started working because school never was really my thing. You know, I always had troubles with teachers and authorities. And I always I always knew from very, very uh, young age that I never could work below someone, you know. I always, that I have to run my own business someday. So I started to work with, like, 16. I started DJing with 15 and I started to have jobs with 16, like kitchen jobs, building stages on exhibitions or for concerts and stuff yeah and i did job and made music and i dj'd and started to play in bars and clubs with around 16 17 starting to do side trans parties then yeah and then starting to make music with 18 but until i could live out of it i always was jobbing i always had other jobs so when did you start doing music full time i was working at a record store for three years but not really to make money because i left all the money in the store at optima records in munich but basically, we are both living out of it like around four years. Yeah, I mean, I, you worked in the store not f for the money part. I needed a job at the beginning and at one point it was running better and better and better. And at one point you have to decide, do I really need the money of the job or not? And yeah, it's hard to say when, we, when, when was that exact moment when we could live from the music only. You're in the middle of this 10-year tour. It just started. It just started on Friday, ah, the tour. So how are you feeling? Already tired? <laughs> Yeah, what we did played, we sign up for? Yeah. No, we played three gigs uh, this weekend and it was a lot of fun and we are very excited again like to play as we had a month off, as we just said. And Yeah, we're really looking forward to the whole tour. This is the busiest you've ever been, DJ-wise. Do you ever wish that things were simpler? Were you happy playing three gigs a, a week? And we're still deciding that. I mean, we also could say no to playing three gigs a week, but... As I said before, we love to play and it's it's great fun and that's all we, we want to do, basically, you know, so... And, and with this tour, I mean, we really try to promote also the other artists on the label, you know. We always wanted to bring at least one other artist and I think that for that reason, it's it's really good to do as many shows as we can for this tour to present the label, to present other artists from the label who are doing all really amazing work and therefore... I think it's worth it to have a little less sleep on one weekend and be a bit tired. <laughs> and I guess it's good that you guys get to travel together. This is what most DJs don't have, a traveling buddy. Yeah, that's what a lot of people get tour manage, managers for, a lot of techno DJs. Because, I mean, 
what a techno DJ needs a tour manager for, you know. I mean, <laughs> basically, it's it's more about company and not traveling alone all over the world. All so the who's the manager and you? Who's the boss out of you guys? Who's saying, wake up, man? Uh, I'm always a little bit late, but I wouldn't say he's the boss, you know. <laughs> I would say so. Yeah. No, <laughs> no it's, it's great fun, you know. If you're not, if you're not, if you're not alone waiting at airports, it's much better than than being alone and you can give each other energy when one is down and in general i think we both really appreciate that and are you always playing back to back yes is that the way you've always done it when we started to play together we played as a sound Sanker brothers sound system which means marco was playing live and i was djing but in one time slot because marco wasn't djing back then he got tired of playing live all the time playing his own music all the time so he started to dj and we started to play back to back and it's great fun it's always surprising and it's really exciting because you never know what he's going to play next and you always have to react to that. And sometimes it's difficult and sometimes you mess it up maybe a little bit and sometimes something really special gets created through that and it's always exciting, I think. So what can be difficult about playing with someone? Keeping the flow going when they play something you don't expect or...? Yeah, keeping the flow going or like if you're in another mood, like keeping the vibe of the other guy. I mean, I mean, we're brothers, you know, we have a very strong connection. So I think it's more easy for us to play together than maybe for, for a normal back-to-back pair, you know. But still, I mean, we are both also human and we both have different moods and sometimes one of us is more into the relaxed mood and the other one wants to bang it, you know. it's. But we always find a way to to manage it somehow you know and it's good because it's it's always challenging and we always it, it's it's not like the safe thing you know you don't we don't play like prepared sets it's always improvised and it's always like going somewhere and i think it can also be really interesting if we have different moods if one is more banging and the other one is more breaky and that can be really exciting too because i think it's it's really nice if a set goes if a set goes in waves you know it has different ups and downs and you don't always have to keep a constant energy in my opinion i think it's really exciting if you go to different spaces mm-hmm. do you talk while you're playing if starry plays something too mellow you're like come on man this is too deep for this situation but we barely talk we don't really talk sometimes we we say like wow this is a huge banger <laughs> i really love this track <laughs> yeah. but we not talk about where we want to go or what we are doing we know what we're doing. I mean, I think it's more about feeling than talking in these in these moments. And do you chat afterwards about how the set was? Yeah, like the night was, like the crowd was, the reactions, and it's always like a we always reacting to the crowd. You know, we never go to a party and say, okay, we play our prepared set now. We always react. So sometimes we play a very breaky sets, sometimes very straight sets, sometimes more housey sets. Like it's very diverse, you know, because each night is different. So after the sets, we mostly, or all the time, we, we speak about it and analyze what, what happened at night, how we liked it. Because we also play bad gigs, you know. It's not like that every gig is amazing. So we always, like, afterwards we reflect on the night and on, on our set and everything. Yeah, it's funny. But sometimes you also play a gig where you're not so happy with the gig all around, but you're really happy with the set. Because even sometimes when a gig goes pretty bad, you kind of for me at least it's like that you you stop being nervous at all because you feel like okay there's nothing to lose really so you can really play freely and experiment and can be exciting too sometimes so as you get 
deeper into DJing, the great gigs become more rare. Yeah, probably the expectations get higher, but when when we started out playing, we played a lot of pretty bad gigs too. So, because on the other hand, recently when we when we played more. It's, it happened more often that you see a, a person with an alien tape t-shirt on the dance floor and that's that's really amazing I think and you see that people are there and they know what we what we are doing and that's that's really cool and that wasn't there five or six years ago and it's also always what you what you make out of it I mean when I said like a bad gig a bad gig is still much better than a lot of other things you know because in it's, an office Yeah, no, not sitting in the office, but I mean, for us, it's fun to play. Even if the sound is bad, the crowd is not good. It's still like an amazing job to get paid for playing the records you love, you know. So it's it's a pretty thin line to say. I mean, a bad gig isn't like as bad as getting injured or, or something. <laughs> it shouldn't sound that dramatic, you know. But um, even, I mean, I try to get out something positive out of every gig, even if the night wasn't amazing or the crowd didn't react so well. I always try to see something positive out of it, you know, because... Yeah, exactly. Even if, if it's not a good crowd in general or it's, it's not a good vibe, but there's one or two persons in the front who are really into the music with closed eyes, you can just focus on them and, and that's worth it, I think. So you're getting booked at parties where most people already know who you are and what you're kind of going to play? Not always. No, no. Not always. No, no. Quite often nobody knows who we are. <laughs> and they expect techno or it's just, I don't know, do they know what kind of music they're going to hear? We're getting booked like on on bigger raves also, and like very techno focused nights. And they're the people they the crowd mostly expects techno, yeah. And um, it's not always easy to to keep the vibe there. We try it, but you can clearly see like if you get breakier or like weirder, the people leave, you know, or they just don't get it. I mean, it's important to to to, to stay on that sound and to try to show something else. To a crowd that is used to just straight stuff, but also you have to keep an eye on the dance floor. I think you know it's not like uh, we don't we don't go to a party to play and think we have to educate the crowd now only, but we want to. It's a mixture. It's a mixture of both. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw you posted this cab drivers track on Facebook. Cabinet classics. Yeah, I didn't realize you're still playing this housey stuff sometimes. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, lately even more. I'm, yeah, I love it. I actually buy way more house music on vinyl than techno because I think it's way more interesting right now. There's a lot of more stuff happening and it's it's way more wide and diverse, I think. Techno kind of for me is getting a little bit stuck the last years, you know. It reminds me when I, in 2006, when I did my first records in this minimal techno high time era, there was a was a time where it was really fresh and a lot of things happened kind of, but it got stuck. And I think techno is in the same state right now, I believe, because it's all kind of sounding the same and a lot of DJs all playing the same, like this kind of, of techno and the crowd expects it, you know. So, but for me, these old this this cabinet classics compilation, for example, it, it's techno for me too. Maybe it's housey in a way, but for me, it's not techno. Doesn't have to be dark and modern industrialized sound. It can be super groovy and melodic too. So, for me, it's a really wide term techno. It doesn't have to be this one sound. Every a lot of people consider techno nowadays. Are you buying new house records? All kinds of stuff, like really relaxed stuff, warm up stuff pumping stuff like i think we both are interested in music in general it's not about only what we play on a peak time set or whatever it's it's all kinds of records ambient and house and yeah everything that we like so you might make some like loopy house again i think we did like like this minimal kind of thing like minimal techno this darker stuff and maybe some tech housey stuff too but 
we always been music collectors and, and really open for everything. I mean, I play records that I own since 10, 15 years. I still play them. For me, it always was about music. I always was really into music. I was consuming it from, from a very young age on. And I never was like just on one sound, you know. The stuff I listen or I buy is so wide and, and that's what keeps it exciting too. And that's actually the most fun sets we play is when we have a lot of time and we, we can really switch between styles and stuff. It's not always easy because if you play a two-hour slot, there's not so much room for that, you know. But yeah, it's ex in general, it's very exciting times for music the last years because there's a lot of great stuff getting released and it's, it's super interesting. That's good to hear because lots of people say the opposite i don't think so since i'm djing the most like the most exciting times the last years because it's so much stuff coming out because so many people doing stuff because it's so easy to access and to produce music nowadays back then you have to have a big studio and this was like a hand of full of people who had the money and the the chance to work on that machines and to, to make music so only for that reason it's obvious that it's much more good stuff coming do you think that there's has also had a, like a negative effect? Like there are so many labels, there are so many people pointing out this. Yeah, definitely. It's there's no risk involved, and you don't have to put much effort into it. I mean, everyone is a DJ nowadays and a producer. And what you have to do to to call yourself that you you don't have to have any skill or you don't even have to invest money into it because you can rip everything, you can do it all digital. So through that it's pretty easy to make that step and decide you, you're you going to be a DJ or a producer. And I think that also means that a lot of people do it who are not really yeah, doing it for the right reasons or doing it in a good way. So there's a lot of crap out there too. You used to be, you, you had to be very dedicated years ago when you wanted to do that. You have to invest money and you have to buy records and you really have to spend time with it. And that makes, I think if you spend time with something and really work on it, you get better. At least you don't see so many laptops anymore. Yeah, I never had really problems with laptops uh, when something great came out of it, you know. It was more like, I mean, we played a few gigs where the DJ just fucked up the channel while we were playing Plug in His Tractor and stuff, you know. That was, yeah, but this is something that, what Marco just said, like, if you if you play with Tractor, you should know your shit, you know, and you know you should know how to plug it and, and don't destroy the other DJ set playing before you. But still, I heard really amazing sets with Ableton, DJ sets with Ableton only. Once I heard Surgeon playing at Berghain with Ableton and he blew me away. Yeah. That was outstanding because he know what he's doing, you know, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm not so about the, not so much about the technical aspect. I think if you, if you feel something in that moment and if something is well done, then it's well done. No matter how you did it or how complicated it is or how simple. If it's well done, it's well done, I think. So when you're in the studio, how long are you there for? It always depends. Sometimes all day, sometimes just a few hours. Always depends if we have to do some other stuff. And also depends on how much we smoke, you know. Sometimes we just hang and <laughs> just get into the zone. And just loop a kick drum. Exactly. <laughs> and just hours. jamming around. Yeah. Yeah. That happens too, but we both really love to hang out in the studio. It's, it's really like kind of a spiritual thing too. We just hang out there. We light some incense. We... But I think it's also it's important to have times there where you're not so creative and, and just experiment. That, that brings you forward too. Well, it's cool that you've made it like a fun place to hang out, not this place like, oh, I'm going to work now. I have to no, complete no. this stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah, making music is, has nothing to do with work for us. It's the same like DJing. It's, no, it's not working. It's pleasure. It's having fun. 
So that's what I said before. It should be as, as comfortable as possible. Sometimes it's struggle too, but it's always driven from passion and not from money or working or yeah. I think that's the difference. Sometimes I'm in the, especially when I'm alone in the studio, I struggle and I feel not so good about it. But that's important too. And to go through that and be not happy with your music and question everything. We are both really into sound and really passionate about it. And so it's, it could never be called work. So it, even when you're, when you receive lots of positive feedback about your tracks, you're obviously successful. There are still moments where you're like, what is this? What am I doing? <laughs> Sure, this and that's very important. That's that's what drives us forward and, and to move on. I mean, we're both not really full of ourselves and we both not think our music is amazing, you know. We just, I mean, it just happens. It's coming out of us and it's that's what we do, you know, and that's what really reflects us. But, um, yeah, we still, like, have times where we're not creative at all because just nothing happens. And every artist has that. You can't be creative all the time. Sometimes you need periods where you are really depressed and going through dark errors to to make something good again at the end you know it sometimes it needs some weeks where you're really depressed about how shit shitty and bad your music is to to get to get back on track basically that happens all the time i think it's like an it's a constant evolution you know and sometimes you at the state and you you're happy with the record you just finished and one week later you think like oh man could have done it so much better or, or i'm not really happy with it and and it's and you will never be a hundred percent happy with something i think and that's that's the beautiful thing about it because you can never reach the end level i think you can always aim for more and try to to get better at it at it so what kind of things would you look back in a track and not like like certain sounds like oh the clap is too loud or or more philosophical things like yeah certain sounds or grooves or like breakdowns or everything you know, there's always stuff you don't like about uh, all the tracks, but there's also stuff you like about them, you know, and it's always like, a, it's funny to look back, especially older tracks, uh, we always get a picture through a track, you know, like you, you hear a track and you remember something and how you were when you made the track, what happened, what girlfriend you had or whatever. It's always like stations in life kind of that is that, that, that show up again when you listen to old music. So, yeah, I mean, I think every artist has that. I mean, it's not normal that, that an artist loves his whole discography. I don't think that's existing, to be honest. But maybe maybe it is, but I'm not sure about it. So where is there a time where you started to realize that lots of people were really into what you were doing? We started doing vinyl in 2007. Yeah, I know about the first little period. The first the, period. Yeah. We did like four records, and then was the big vinyl crashdown. It was 2007, I think, 2008, where the sales broke in like from one day to the other. We were in another distribution back then and we owed them money because we had a P&D deal and we were young. We just pressed, like, we started with 1,000 and, you know, we pressed 5,000 covers. We just didn't really think about it. We just went for it. Then we started the digital series to to get back the money in to that we owed to the distribution, you know. And we, we But we always build a platform with, um, with with email addresses and send out promo, and we always had good feedback from 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 the beginning. Also with the digital only stuff, of course not as much as now. I believe it became bigger and bigger all, over all the years. It just grew. It just grew like more contacts. We met more people. The feedback got more, and we started to do vinyl again. And then I think it it became more serious again and grew like more, even more. Was there one record that seemed to be like a hit? I don't know. From the sellings, I would say. 
there wasn't one record that stood out and was like suddenly a lot more. Mm. I think it slowly grew. We sold a lot less four years ago and then it slowly, or five years ago, or six years ago, and then it slowly grew. This is probably the best way to do it, this organic growth, rather than putting out some smash. We never had in mind to do something to get popular, like really popular in terms of, of, of doing the label or, or as artists. We always wanted to do something that we really could look back to and always always stand for it, you know, and that's, that's simply not us. And we, we always also thought about if we want to build a career, we want to build it in the most long-term way possible because it should last and we, we love that. We don't want to play for for a few years now and uh, and that's it, you know. We just wanted to to really build something. And I'd rather release a, a personal track than a perfect sounding track. I, I think that's that was always important for us, that, that there's something in the music we can really relate to than just a perfect production that sounds good on a big system and that's functional. I think that's rather easy to do, like a functional, good-sounding track that that works, but that's not... I think something is missing if it's just that. If you're putting so much feeling in a track, when it's two of you working together, you obviously have different emotions at different times. It's, it's always really inspiring because there's always... I mean, if you're alone in the studio... You have a blank canvas and sometimes it's a little bit too much because you don't know where to start. If you're together, you, you just start and then ideas come from both sides and you can just pick them up and, and, and develop something quicker, I think. And it's also exciting because if you listen to something that, that you have not done, you have a different relationship to it than when you're doing it in the moment. It's, it's, I think it's really exciting to work together in the studio. Are you ever disagreeing much? Not really. I mean, there's obviously stuff where one of us doesn't like, and then we say, "I don't like this" or "I don't like that," and we just we just skip it. We never discuss about it. Like if if one of us doesn't like a sound, it's just not it won't stay in the. The track. other one's not fighting. Like, come on, man. No, 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 no. We, we both have to feel it and like it, and we are both very very honest about it too. So that's the only way to make music together. I think you know. And it's, I think it's no problem if one says, "I don't like this." Just threw it out and yeah. keep on doing it it's it's not a big deal it's not yeah. all thought through and really like i have this concept that i want to do it's much more intuitive and like in the moment and if someone says like hey i don't like this okay put it away and is the same with putting out records on the label like when andrea for example sends you 10 tracks are you both equally into the ones that get onto the record most of the times we have the same opinions about the tracks but sometimes one of us doesn't feel the track really and then we we just keep it give it a little bit more time and play it out in the clubs and test it and here in the studio and most of the time it's it's pretty clear we have a very different uh, uh similar taste in terms of, of what we want to put out on the label in the early days were you reaching out to artists for tracks and now it's mostly from contacts you have already yeah, we have a, a strong group of artists that work a lot. I mean, they all spend a lot of work in it, and, and they're very productive. But we get really good demos, too. We don't have time to check them. With the DJ Rum record, we asked him for a record because we got in contact, for example. And if we're really into something, we, we, we reach out for an artist, too. But the thing is, like, we are not into signing an artist that is upcoming, that's releasing on, on several labels, you know, because we, we believe, like, it's important for an artist to to relate to something and not to release like 
on 10 labels in his first year, as I did, for example, when I was young. I did my five, four records, four, five records on five labels, and it was cool back then. I didn't know what to do about it, but that's what I learned out of it, that it's not really the best thing to do. And it's great for an artist if you, if you work with a label that really is trying to work out something with you together, you know, to build to build a relationship. How much music are you getting sent from the lads, from the guys, from Stanny, Andrea? Mm, well, Stanny's working on an album right now, so not that much from him, but Ski Mask is sending us, like, tons of music. He's crazy. So we start a sub-label now, actually, for Ski Mask Music Only called Alien Ski Series because he has so much output and uh, we just have to do it. So, yeah, he's super productive. He's a, he's a machine. He's doing nothing than <laughs> making music, which is great, you know. How did you actually get in touch with him? He's also from Munich, right? He has another another project, and we we both liked the record. And somehow I realized that he lives in Munich, apparently. And but I never met him, so I wrote him on SoundCloud and said like, "Hey, we really like this record. I don't know if you know our label, but if you have something, maybe we could do something." And he was like, "Yeah, sounds interesting. Can we meet?" And we met, and he was totally what not what I expected. Like I expected like a really an older person and a really self-confident guy but he was i mean he's self-confident but he was just so young i was really surprised that that he does this music and he he brought a stick with like 30 tracks and he was like you can have all of them and that's how we got in touch and now we yeah we, we hung out a lot more and became friends and some of those 30 tracks came out no, the first ITX was even different tracks. I mean, yeah. the first tracks uh, he, he gave us, we didn't release them, no. No, I, and I also gave him, like, a lot of records from our label, and, and through that, I think he developed the idea of, of, of making this Ski Mask project. I think he was kind of influenced from the label and wanted to do... We, because we told him, like, we don't want to sign you with this old name you have because then it seems like, how about a new project? Let's make a fresh start and do something different. And he was really up for that. How does he play? Crazy. <laughs> Super diverse, but like he's he's one of the best DJs I know because he's like he's managing to play like electro house, techno, drum and bass. At Berghain, he played like this uh, grime hit, like what was the name? Like a really crazy, not like a trap track with rap vocals combined with Kraftwerk on 180 BPM afterwards and then a drum and bass tune and yeah, he's a crazy DJ that is like he, he takes risks and he, he likes to present music that he loves and that's what I really respect about him when you started getting into records with nice breaks mostly it's, UK stuff yeah it's yeah it's, it's most a lot, of, a lot of UK stuff yeah it seems like yeah it's came back lately yeah, it's hard to tell. It's hard to say, actually. I mean, I, I kind of had the impression, too, but I, I think it always was there, kind yeah. of. It, it just wasn't... I mean, in general, I think there's a way bigger acceptance for music in general. As you see, the scene worldwide is growing. There's more raves than ever right now, everywhere, like all over the world. So, of course, there's like a lot of people into different kind of sounds. The the audience for, for breaky stuff and the acceptance for breaky stuff is just growing as more people are into it. But it always was there, like the break year stuff. I mean, we play a lot of old stuff from the 90s or early 2000s where we were exactly that breaky techno vibe. Yeah, it's not like it's a brand new thing. No, if it, no. No, no. It's just a different approach. I mean, we, it's just slower now. It's maybe more melodic than back then. But I think it's it's it's, it's just because the, the movement in general is growing. 
so there's just more people are into it so what trends have you seen come and go i got really into dance music when every club night was minimal mainly and and then it became like really disco and deep house and like super slow and yeah, and then somehow I think it got more and more parallel hypes. I don't know. Like then, of course, through Berkine and then this techno sound became massive. But now, it, then, then it was like coexisting. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I was just saying before. When I started DJing, like on, on techno parties, like minimal techno parties, or when I put out my first records, like ten years ago, or actually eleven years ago, maybe it was just not on my radar, but. It was like the MySpace time, and it wasn't that social media explosion. And I just had MySpace, and I didn't know much more about the internet, actually. There were some chat rooms where people were discussing about stuff. This minimal techno thing was the only thing back then. I had, I mean, I bought house music and techno and stuff and everything, but I had nothing on my radar beside the minimal thing. And in Munich, any party was going to happen was a, was a minimal techno party, you know. And after that... Uh, I think even after that, uh, right after the minimal techno thing was the huge tech house wave, like yeah. the Frankfurt, oh, bomb this Mannheim, like true. Oslo yeah. style. Oslo, yeah, yeah. this and style. Then and disco. then it became really disco, like the Soul Club, Wolf and Lamb thing got really big. And still is. It's still, like Marco said, it's really parallel nowadays. I, I had the feeling that back then it was either one or another. It was minimal techno and then it was tech house and then it was disco, which was interesting for the majority of the clubs and the crowds and nowadays it's super parallel you know there's a scene for every 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 sound has its place and its crowd goes back to what you were saying about more people being into this thing maybe that yeah. there's room for all these different yeah, trends yeah yeah because so much people into dance music nowadays that every scene has its or every sound has its crowd which is great which is amazing so do you still chat to any of your pals from the minimal days yeah, we do. Like Franco Cinelli once in a while, like JC, who is Casper, who, who runs Esperanza Records. Do you still play many records from back then? Out of this era, n not really. I mean, there's some records I really enjoy still, but there's also a lot of Psytrance records I love, you know, still. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes I get lost for hours on YouTube watching Psytrance music and sometimes when my friends hang out at my place or Marco I really get on the nerves of the guys playing the old records for hours but I love that you know and so how fast is this how fast is Psytrance it depends there's really different there's a lot of different styles of Psytrance but I think like 140 145 148 so what are the different styles is there deeper stuff that's really deep stuff. That's for, that's for example, like Minilog, um, they used to have a project, I don't know if they still have it, it's called Songkite. It's like Danish or Swedish, Swedish progressive side trance, which is really cool stuff, actually. And there was a lot of stuff from Sweden back then, from a label called Iboga Records, for example. They did a lot of progressive stuff, which is basically techno with a very psychedelic, spiritual approach, like really organic sounds, but it has nothing to do with trance for me. It just was considered that style because it just fits in an environment like an open air party with people on acid and smoking weed and nature and wind and rain and stuff. You know, it's just natural sounds, I think, and very psychedelic music. And even nowadays, I think stuff we put out or we do ourselves is very psychedelic in a way. It seems like, I don't know if it was like that in the UK. Obviously, I can't really speak about it, but it seems pretty common in German music that it's a, in German house and techno that there's this hypnotic element. And I wonder where it came from. Drugs, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, but drugs have been everywhere. I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, I think it's a fascination to, to also work with not so many elements and make them a loop and just 
just make keep it fresh like produce it in a way that it that you can listen to it for hours i mean i think that's a very challenging and really nice approach yeah because that's the interesting thing about your stuff it's not so loopy and stripped down but it still has this trippy well i think this just happens actually i mean we don't sit in the studio and say okay let's make a hypnotic loop now <laughs> this is just what comes out concentrate you know? all right marco concentrate man it's close your eyes believe finger on the last chisor gig you have to focus now <laughs> it's not it's not like that it's it's very it just happens actually and maybe that's kind of also from our roots i mean marco wasn't in this psytrance thing but still he 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 was raised with it because next to his room was my room and I was playing that music all the time and he was a kid and he, he got it he got the dose every day pretty loud so I think that influenced him even if he hates it nowadays maybe he hates it because of that I have a trauma but I think that influenced him also and maybe that's what comes through you know and uh, I mean I don't I not feel ashamed about to, to talk about that and to speak about it how much I love it and I still do yeah. and I think it's very you can clearly hear it in our music But when I grew up, I, wa I was also really into, in my, in my teenage years, I was really into dub and reggae. And it's also quite loopy, but also pretty spaced out. It's like old King Tubby records, they're like really loopy, but also these effects and these heavy delays, they really... Quite really psychedelic too. Trippy, yeah. Were you into lots of German techno also? Like this basic channel and... Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, Rhythm, Rhythm and sound, sound basic channel. Like, like Kanzleramt back then, like outstanding Alexander Kowalski Heiko Lauk stuff is like yeah. it's a milestone in techno music in general not only German techno but globally there was a lot of really good stuff from Germany still is but back then like especially the 90s and, and early 2000s was it easy to get in Munich like was it easy to buy when you started buying records could you buy this old 90s stuff also yeah there's a really good record store in Munich I used to work at Optima Records it's there for 35 years almost And they always had everything. They had all like they always had the Detroit stuff, like the the Berlin techno stuff, and very good selected store. When did you guys first start coming to Berlin and traveling around Germany for gigs? I started in around 2007, 2008, and then I played a couple of vacant nights at Watergate when I released music in vacant. We also played together once at Watergate. Do you have lots of like standout memories? Oh, I don't know. Does it all blur into one? Well, there are stand-up moments, but the more you play and the older you get, of course, they get like forgotten easy. But there always were like stand-up moments. But I have to admit that back then we partied way more. Like, <laughs> so we did way more after hours and stuff. So that's what I was thinking. Like, I wonder when do you get to the point where you have to think like, oh, I'm signing to DJ a lot now. I shouldn't go to after parties um. if I want to healthy during the week it depends what yeah exactly it depends what you want to do during the week and we run a label we we, we want to make music and then it's obvious that you can't do it you can't tour every weekend and go to an after party and be super high and then you are fucked for the week you cannot do what you want to do and so that's do you, frustrating so do you remember the first after party you said no to <laughs> no <laughs> this is when it all changed <laughs> no man <laughs> So how did you get tracks for the compilation? It's most, or how did you get the Shed track, for starters? Uh, we just asked him. Nice. We've been fans for, it's one of our biggest inspirations, we've been fans forever from Shed, and he's, he's a great guy. We just wrote him and asked him, and, and he, he agreed. And we are super happy about that. And the other tracks, we all, I mean, we, were, we started to plan this compilation, like, summer 16, like, last year. We just wrote all the artists about it, and 
we specifically ask each artist to do a track for this compilation. I see. It's not like you selected from 10. Yeah, we got oh. different suggestions, but they all had in mind that it's for this project. So, And then we kind of chose what we thought was the right way to present it. Did you give them more information than just like, oh, it's a 10-year compilation? Yeah, we Did said you, you can do whatever you want. Just go, if you want to go wild, go wild. If you want to go banging, go banging. And then we tried to kind of, yeah, put it all together. And it was a pretty natural process, but we had a vision what we want to do. And we, I'm really happy about it, how it turned out, that it's like every, I think every track sounds really different and represents something different in a way. But it all fits together. And all the artists are happy with it. They're all happy with the with their tracks and with the result. It's not like that we choose a track from an artist that would like to have another track on the compilation, you know. So that was really important for us too, that everybody feels really happy about it and comfortable. Do you find yourself like do you have to be sensitive when dealing with the producers on your label? Or are you all pretty honest with each other? And you can give negative feedback or We are pretty honest. We are sensitive too, but we are honest. I mean, we we suggest things. I mean, there's a there's a limit, you know. There's a how far you can go, but we wouldn't say, "Hey, put out the hi hat minute free, put another baseline in, try another whatever, try a Juno or something like that." We never would do that, but we do suggestions like, "Hey, maybe this sound is killing the atmosphere for us at least, or maybe this bass sound is a little bit too loud." But that's about it. Which is cool. That's a constructive uh, critic, I think. Is it common when you're releasing on other labels for label owners to ask for s these specific changes that you mentioned? Yeah, this happened to me uh, many times. Yeah, my curious. whole discography, like m many labels, requested that. Like a lot of people work like that, but that's not how we work. I mean, as I said, we do suggestions sometimes. But if the artist say, "Hey, this is the I, I want to have this track like this, and this is what I want to express," we are like, "Okay, cool." That's totally fine. And you it know. doesn't happen often. It's not that like at every second track we say, can you change this, can you change that? No. Mostly we say yes or no. To the whole track. Yeah. Because the artist always wants to express something. But it's happened to me many times already. Like not on re I think if you do a remix for somebody that pays you for it, it's a different thing. Because, you know, but still, it, it should be in a respectful way. Yeah.